Let me invite you to take your Bible and go over to Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 as our text today. My privilege to share with you a verse-by-verse analysis of this very important text. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to empower your word as only you can by your Spirit. We ask you to use the text that is living and powerful the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, we pray that even today it would pierce into our hearts and that you help us to hear from you today. Lord, we want to be the kind of church that follows you, Lord Jesus, with renewed passion and renewed zeal. Thank you that that was expressed today already in changed lives, people who've come to faith in Christ people who've made this church family their own, and we just pray that you'd help us to discover afresh and anew on this day what it looks like for us individually to take up our cross and follow you. So, Lord, help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The vision for this Sunday of uh, one Sunday, one service, one church was to be able to celebrate the goodness of God to all of us, and particularly the goodness of God to our church family. And I think you would agree with me that God has been very good to us in the last year, hasn't He? We're going to try that again. I think you would agree with me that God has been very good to us in the last year, hasn't He? Today's service is designed to show you both the depth and the breadth of everything that's included under the umbrella of a church that we call College Park. Over the last four months, I found myself often shaking my head in disbelief, joyful disbelief at the unique and powerful and sometimes strange things that we do around here for the glory of God. It amazes me, the giftings, the abilities. And I'll tell you, when I shake my head and I think of the things that God is doing in our midst, I find myself also thrilled about what God is doing in our future. I mentioned it earlier, but we have a phrase that we use around the office called Blue Skies Ahead. If you're a military guy or the Air Force, you'll know the acronym CAVU, Ceiling and Visibility Unlimited. And my statement to our staff is this, as blue as the sky, as wide as the, as the sky in front of us, as wide as the visibility of what you can see, that is the potential of what God could do through this particular church in Indianapolis. And I believe that with all my heart. And it is not just a matter of amazing things that we do, but it is the fact that we serve an amazing God who transforms lives, who can take a marriage and repair it, who can reach the darkest parts of our city, the darkest parts of our hearts, and shed the love and the light of Christ into that place. You know, over the last four months, I've had the privilege of um, just getting to know our staff. And you just need to know that I work with some amazing people. I mean, some really amazing people. And I want you to know that they know that it's a great privilege to serve you. We talk about it often. We, we talk about it in the context of staff meetings. It's just unbelievable that we get to do this full time and use our gifts and abilities and have all of the things that God has entrusted to us that we get to do that for His glory. The last four months, honestly, have been a bit like a honeymoon for my family and myself here. You've responded so graciously to us. You've made our transition as smooth as possible, but even more... You treasure the Word of God with a hunger and passion that just makes my heart so glad. And you need to know from the depth of my heart and my family's heart, College Park, the Vrogup family, loves College Park Church. We are so glad to be a part of this body, so glad to be able to grow old together, 
and to see how God would use this to advance His kingdom. This morning before us is a very important text. Matthew 16 talks about the beauty of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And my aim this morning in this text is to remind us that in the midst of all the things that are unique about this ministry, there is one thing that unites us, and that is this, that whether you speak Spanish, or Arabic, or English, or Azeri, or what did you just speak? Swahili, thank you. (laughs) We are all followers of Jesus Christ. It is that He is the one that regardless of our skin color or our background or our, our, our upbringing or our tongue or our dialect, it is Christ who unites us. It's He is the one who is the supreme ruler of the universe. And that's why on this day I just want to center us on what it means to follow Christ. And I, and I want to call you to a, a new level of following Christ. In fact, what my aim today is to light you up in the right sense of the word. I I want to ignite a passion in all of us to follow Jesus so that all of our ministries, whether it's flock groups or ABFs or youth ministry or next generation or counseling or our radio ministry or compassion, whatever it is, that, that our single passion is we want to follow Jesus. And we want to figure out how to do that and do that with a renewed zeal and a renewed power. The text in front of us identifies the heart of discipleship. And what I want to do is what a friend of mine calls, I want to be a spiritual pyromaniac today. I I want to set some fires in your hearts for you to be able to say, okay, so what's my cross that I'm called to bear? You saw a few moments ago a cross in the demonstration of a couple who've worked through marital challenges. Some of you come with different crosses this morning that you're bearing, and I want to encourage you today that God has a calling upon your life, and He asks you to bear your cross and follow Him, and that's what all of our call is to do this morning. So look at verse 24. There's three things here in the text. The first is a renouncing. To be a disciple of Christ and to be a follower of Him first means that we decide what we're against. And here's the thing. What you are against is you are against yourself. That's the problem. Verse 24, a renouncing. Jesus says this, He told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. In other words, following Jesus is an all-encompassing passion that involves deciding, I'm not going to go a particular path, and instead I'm going to go this direction. So following Jesus, first and foremost, is an exclusive relationship. Listen, there is no following Jesus and... You don't follow Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. You either follow Jesus all or you follow Jesus none. And when it comes to renouncing, it means that there are certain things that we say, no, I'm going to renounce that. The first is we, resu- we renounce multiple spiritual paths, meaning that all roads lead to forgiveness. The Bible unequivocally says, no, we've renounced the fact that there's only one way, one truth, one life, and it's the person and work of Jesus. Each of the disciples were called by Christ. They had been personally called by Him. Remember Matthew? He's sitting at the tax collector's table and Jesus says, Come and follow me. He left His his lucrative business. And some of you know what that's like. You've decided you turned away business deals. You, You said, I won't be unethical. And you walked away and somebody else made a lot of money and you watched them climb the financial ladder of success and you've thought in your hearts, Mmm... That was a costly decision. And this morning I want you to know it was a costly decision here, but it will be a very rewarding decision when you see your Savior. 
To follow Jesus means that I've renounced, like the, the Peter, James, and John who were fishermen, and Jesus said, I'm going to take your little industry that you use being fishers, fishers of fish, and now I'm going to make you fisher of men. I'm going to transform your world, and instead of you thinking that you're just going to use your nets to catch men, now you're going to use your life or your nets to catch fish, now you're going to use your lives to catch men, and Jesus radically transformed their lives. But it also means that Jesus is the only way because He's the only one that has the words of life. It's a sensitive moment in John 6 where Jesus had some hard teaching that He was saying to some disciples and some people left. They said, enough with Him, and they walked away. And Jesus said to His disciples, will you go away as well? Will you go away as well? Here's what Peter said to Jesus. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what Peter is saying is this, or where else are we going to go? There's no hope in anybody else but you. You have the words of life. You're the only one who can really change our hearts and lives. So in the midst of a culture and a world that says there's many other paths, Jesus unequivocally says, no, there's only one. And that's why he says, you must follow me. Being a disciple of Christ means that you agree with the Bible, that there are not many ways to God, there's only one. And so if you're here today, maybe someone invited you to this outdoor service, you need to know that the central thing that College Park is all about is this simple truth that there's one person, one way, one means, one cross, one method of having your sins forgiven. It's the person of Christ, that's it. Only one. And the confession of our hearts and our lives is the fact that we have embraced that because that is what the Bible tells us to embrace. This wasn't our idea. This was what God intended because only one could suffer like He did. And only one could make atonement for sins. It also, re- 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 it also means renouncing a distinction between believing and following. You know, some people say, well, I believe in Jesus, I just don't follow Him. I believe in Him, but I don't do what He wants. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, Let him take up his cross and follow me. Meaning that there is no distinction between believing in Christ and following Him. In fact, I would argue, if you say in your heart of hearts, I will believe in Him, but I will follow Him, you don't know who you believed in. And one of the reasons why we spent so much time early on here at College Park defining who Jesus is, having Him be the core, is because I want you to know what He's like, because when you know Him, following Him will not be an issue. You see, I don't think that you guilt people into following Christ. I think instead you show them the beauty of who He is and how Jesus can eclipse all other desires, all other affections. How knowing who Jesus is causes you to want to follow Him because you understand Him as supreme, as holy, as righteous, as preeminent as we just sang. The reality is, I'm not talking about perfection But I am saying that Jesus calls all of us to come and follow Him. And that's why this particular text is so important. Because we all have to figure out how that works. We all have to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. How to follow Him when you're raising small children. How to follow Him in a a major executive position in in an industry in our our community. How to follow Him when you've got a a neighbor who, who complains about your grass and it's too long. How to deal with someone who's honking at you in traffic. And how to follow him when the doctor says the lump in your neck is cancer. Or you've got three months to live. Or your boss says, I'm sorry, there's no more job here for you. You see, we've got to figure out how to follow Christ in all of the arenas of life that God puts us in. And what Jesus tells us is the, the essential thing that we have to renounce is not only multiple spiritual paths... 
and an improper distinction between believing and following, but we have to renounce ourselves. I've said this before, I'll say it again, Mark Vrogup's problem is Mark Vrogup. That's what my problem is. And guess what? Your problem is not Mark Vrogup. (laughs) Your problem is you. So if you come here this morning and you think, well, what, my, my, my wife talked to you about my problems. No, that's the Spirit of God and you ought to listen. Because the reality is, our own hearts are the essence of our problems. And that's why Jesus says, let a man deny himself. To deny means that you give up all reliance on. You disown. You say, I'm done with me. I'm, I'm done with my life. I'm done with trying to live my life my way. To renounce yourself means that you decide in a decisive and deliberate act that you are done with yourself. That you renounce your belief that you're not as bad as others. That I renounce my natural bent to worship myself. Every once in a while I'll get a little grumpy. Like twice in my life. So I'll get a little grumpy and my wife will say something like this, Mark, are you hungry? And I hate it when she asks me that. Because she's usually right and I feel like a child. Because the reality is, when I get hungry, I get grumpy. And I know that when I'm hungry, I tend to only think about myself. And sometimes she'll say, are you hungry? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. I'm kind of grumpy and hungry, kind of both. The reality is, I see the world in an orb of me at the center, and coming to Christ means that I renounce myself and say, enough with me. I, I renounce my attempt to please God by my works. I renounce my desire to run my own life. I renounce my tendency to think only of myself. And I renounce anything and everything that doesn't please Christ. I say to the world, I don't want you, I want Christ. I renounce everything except Him. So in the midst of all the wonderful things that our church does, I want to remind you that the common denominator is that we are a group of people who have renounced ourselves. Whether we speak English or Spanish or Arabic or Azeri or Swahili, the confession is the same. I'm the problem. Jesus is the solution. I'm the problem. And Jesus is the solution. To illustrate this, look back one paragraph and see what was probably the worst day of Peter's life. Jesus just got done telling him what the plan is. The disciples continually ask him what the plan is. What's the plan? What's the plan? So he finally tells them, and then Satan takes him aside. And and I don't know about you, but I see myself in Peter. I I see this tendency to, oh, I got a better idea than the sinless sovereign son of God. (laughs) I I, I, I got an idea, Dad. I got an idea, God, Father. Here, here's here's what you should do. I got an idea, Jesus. Sometimes my prayer life sounds like that. You know, you could really be glorified, God, if you could do this, which... You just ought to be glad I'm not God. And Peter then receives a rebuke from Christ. It's a strong one. He says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine the day that Peter came home after this? Grant me a little license here. Imagine he comes home and his wife says, hey, how was your day today? No, not so good. Not so good. Not a good day. Well, why? Uh, yeah, Jesus, hey, he called me Satan today. <laughs> he did what? He called you Satan. Can we just acknowledge it's not a good day when Jesus calls you Satan, okay? So here is Peter. He's got all these ideas of what, how, how, the, how the Son of God is going to work out his plan, and Jesus says, get behind me. And what does he say to him? 
He's a stumbling block, and here's the source, because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Peter's problem is our problem, beloved. We too often do not renounce ourselves, and Jesus says we have to begin by coming and saying, I'm done with me. That begins when we receive Christ the first time. Those of you who received Christ this year, it came about when you decided you're done with doing life your way, and the only way for you to really be forgiven is to flee to Christ. So there's a renouncing. Look at verse 24. There's also not only this, but there is an embracing. Let a man deny himself, and here it is, take up his cross and follow him. Take up your cross. Now realize when Jesus says these words, they don't know that the cross is going to be the emblem of suffering and shame, the old rugged cross, cherished cross like we sing about it. They don't know this. Take up your cross. What does this mean? In New Testament times, it meant that criminals, when they were sentenced to death, would, would take the cross beam of the cross. The, 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 the lateral pieces would be put in, in the ground, and they would carry the, the actual vehicle that would crucify them, and they would carry that thing through the city. The very act of carrying one's cross meant that they were on a final walk. The cross-carrying mode meant that you were walking to a certain destiny, and the destiny was death. So the metaphor here is stunning. Because here, Jesus is calling His disciples to live out the example that He will show them and how to die. And Jesus, in effect, invites all of His disciples to pick up their own cross and join Him, listen, in a parade of people who are marching to their death. But the death isn't always a physical death. It's that they're in a parade of people who say, my calling in life is to die, and to die like Jesus, to yield my rights, to be willing to be selfless, to to live for the glory of God, and let, yes, even the suffering of my own life be the platform upon which the glory of God is best seen. Jesus was calling His disciples, and He calls us to embrace a very radical different life. A life of selflessness, a life of Christ-centeredness, a life in which these disciples are to embrace hardship and suffering and trials. They're all a part of God's call to follow Jesus. And some of you know exactly what that's like. 2008 has not been a good year for you. God has given you a heavy cross. And yet there's others of us who, there's a cross coming in 2009, you just don't know it. And the hope of this passage is that cross-bearing living is not abnormal, it's normal. That believers ought to expect the reality of life to be such that hardship comes and difficulties come about their life. I want to remind you, we are in a real battle, beloved. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Taking up our cross means that you are willing to pay any price that God calls you to pay for the name of Christ. It means that some of you students who just started school this last week, you're going to go into high schools and you're going to look so different and act so different than than the majority of students around you and you know what it's like to walk by a conversation, have the conversation shut down and you know it's about you. That is your cross. Bear it with joy. When you sit alone in the lunchroom because people won't hang around you because your, your mouth isn't filled with the vile talk that there is, that is your cross. Some people want to make this text to say it only relates to persecution or specific suffering, but I think that certainly is a application of it. But there's another one as well. It means not only bearing shame and reproach, rejection, 
but it also means that we bring this consistent and unwavering commitment that I'm going to do what honors Jesus in every arena of my life. I'm going to take this, this dying to self flavor and I'm going to add it to, to everything, everything that I do. I'm going to add this flavor of my life. It's going to be a part of all parts of life that I'm engaged in so that when people come in contact with me, they know that my commitment is to the person and work of Christ. And that takes as varied forms as there are people. That takes as varied forms as, as all of the events in our lives have been in the last year and as varied things will come in our lives in 2008 and nine. And I want to encourage you, when Jesus gives you your cross to bear, bear it. Not with grumbling, not with complaining, but realizing this is the moment, this is the hour, I've got to take the sweet flavor of Christ-likeness and bring it into this situation. How many of you, this will be a large group question, how many of you like hot sauce? Raise your hands. Okay, beautiful. I'm with you. Now my wife does not. And she doesn't understand, why would you put that on your food? It just makes your nose run, right? So I put it on, we had, we had KFC last night, I put some hot sauce on my chicken and my eyes are water and my nose. And she's like, why do you do that to yourself, Right? And it's like, I love it, right? And the, by the way, it's kind of addictive, too. The more you do it, the... And, and I, there's about nothing I wouldn't want to put hot sauce on. I mean, I just... Hot sauce, I, you, you name it, man. I've even tried when I've had a sore throat before. I've tried drinking straight water and um, habanero sauce. Don't do that. It's not good. <laughs> but the reality is, I can put that flavor on just about everything because I, I love the, the, the flavor of that hot sauce on just about anything. And what Jesus, in effect, is saying about discipleship is this, that the flavor of your life, the thing that you love, the thing that defines you, and the thing that, that is the link between all areas of your life is this just undying commitment that I want to be like Christ, and I'm going to take up my cross. And so on the platform of cancer, on the platform of an abusive past, on the platform of a difficult work scenario, on the platform of just normal everyday life, you, you, you display the beauty and the glory of Christ. And you take the cross that Jesus gives you. And so for some of you here today, I want you to hear this, that the cross that's been recently put into your life is not an object of God's displeasure of you. Instead, it is your opportunity to make much of Christ. Don't waste the cross He's given you. I heard recently of a story of one of our uh, church members, she may be here this morning, um, that in an Indianapolis Indians game, Pam Hillel was giving a testimony about her son, honoring her son who was killed in combat a few years ago. And one of our church members was in the stands watching it, and someone seated next to her, who they didn't know, leaned over and said to these folks from College Park, you know, I've watched that woman over the years, and I've seen how she's suffered. There's something different about her. I just don't know what it is. And the College Park member looked at them and said, they seized the opportunity, they said, oh, I know what the difference is. The difference is Jesus. And they had an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. That's how you take, listen, that's how you take the horrible, difficult, painful death of a prized son, and you make it a platform upon which Christ is honored, Jesus is exalted, and you use your gifts together for the glory of God such that Jesus looks at our lives and says, see that cross, take it and follow me. So there's a renouncing, a renouncing of myself. There's an embracing of my calling. Whatever it is that God calls me to do. And some days, I just think this way, God, what's the cross you want me to bear today? 
What is the thing that you want me to bear up under and exalt the name of Christ underneath the weight that you're giving me? The final thing is the issue of treasuring. Look what the text says in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? You see, here's the thing. There is an explanation here as to why we are to live this way. And it's very simple. Living this way just makes sense when you know who Jesus is. That's why, beloved, when you fall under various trials and you count it joy, you count it joy not because you get to suffer. No one likes cancer. No one likes pain or relationship problems. You don't embrace that and say, Oh, goody, I get to feel pain today. That's not why. But it is that you treasure the person and work of Christ as a greater value than a life that is free of pain and difficulty. It is that you say, I choose to treasure Christ even though my life is hard and it just makes sense when you know who Christ is. You see, there's a spiritual paradox here. Notice, Jesus says that you save your life by losing it. Christianity is weird in that respect. And it should be. Don't be so normal in your neighborhood that people don't know there's a spiritual paradox of your life. Don't be so normal at work that, that, that people look around and say, well, I didn't know you were a Christian. You see, the way up is down. You receive by giving. You live by dying. You find your life by losing it. And following Jesus means that you live by a value set that the world looks at and it doesn't make sense to them. And the power of being a disciple means that you treasure a selfless pursuit of Christ, a selfless pursuit of what it means to be Christ-like in the world. It means that you treasure radical selflessness. Yes, you're the one who has to go and seek forgiveness first. You're the one who has to love most. And when you wonder, how can I do this again? How can I just give myself? I, I've prayed this before. I've said, Lord, I just wish I had a, an example. Somebody that I could point to, that I could look at and say, okay, so this is how you love like this. This is how you... How you, how you um, how you give of yourself. This is how you just keep doing it over and over and over. And it was about that time in my prayer time that the Lord reminded me, yeah, that's why I sent my son. <laughs> to give you an example, Mark, to follow. There's a paradox. But there's also a living treasure. Jesus says, not only would he who would save his life will lose it, he who loses it will find it, but he also says, what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what shall a man give in return to his life? What Jesus is saying here is it's possible for you to live with the wrong value set your entire life. And I want to have a word with those of you today who think you have it all together, but you've never dealt with the reality of your soul. Can I just tell you, you have the one thing that you, the one thing you don't have together is the very thing that could be so costly to you for all eternity. Jesus sets up a hyperbole here. He says, imagine a man who literally owns everything. He owns every piece of property. He owns every vehicle, every industry, every home, every piece of technology. He owns it all. And then he dies and he stands before Christ. And Christ says, why should I let you into heaven? And he has nothing to say. And Jesus then says, you're damned. The hyperbole of that scenario is to remind us that it's possible for you to live for all the wrong things all your life. And on the other end, 
It's also the reality that Jesus says that when you treasure me and treasure following me as more important than all these other things, you are not making a dumb decision. You ever written a check that you put into church in the offering plate and looked at it and thought, I could do a lot with that money. You ever thought that? Oh, come on. Sure you have. I have. I've looked at that check and said, man, that's a car payment. And you give it away. The Bible tells us you are not wasting one dime of that money. You ever looked at your schedule? Some of you getting ready to come to Awana. You have to hustle to get dinner to get here to listen to kids memorize their verses. You're teaching Sunday school with our children. You're, you're getting prepared for a, a small group and you think, you know what? I don't have hardly any time to myself. And you begin to look at your neighbors and all the time they have. You haven't wasted one minute of your life when you've invested it for the kingdom. What Jesus says here is that you live by a different value set, a different set of rules, a different set of values. It means that our calling in life is to constantly remind people that there are soul issues on the line. Our mission is that important. It requires sacrifice and suffering and deep resolve, but it's worth it. And I want to remind you that every single Sunday, heaven and hell are on the line. Every Sunday there are hurting people that come who are trying to figure out the answers to life, trying to figure out what's really happening to them and what's the real solution to the empty part of their soul. And following Jesus means that I treasure Him as more valuable than anything else. So, following Jesus means a renouncing of self, an embracing of God's calling, and a treasuring of eternal values. It means that we have all one mission, and that is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. We express that in a thousand different ways, and this morning in one, two, three, four, five different languages. Therefore, this morning, here's what I'd like to call you to do. First, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, oh man, can I just tell you, you do not know what you are missing. To know that your sins have been forgiven, that your heart has been cleansed. Listen, it just isn't about heaven. That's the icing on the cake. Eternity with Christ, that's the icing now, right here, to know that my life has purpose and meaning, my heart has been cleansed, my sins are forgiven, and the God who created the world that we exist in right now, I'm in a right relationship with Him, that I stand before Him absolutely clean because of the work of Christ, that's the heart of the Gospel, and that's the joy of my heart. Secondly, I ask you to destroy the notion that you can believe in Jesus but not follow Him. Please listen carefully. Our world has heard enough from people who say they believe in Jesus but don't follow Him. And there are lots of people who don't come to church because they know folks who say they believe in Jesus but they don't follow Him. Please, let's let, let's let that not be named among us anymore. Third, I call you today to submit to God's plan for your life and to embrace it with joy. God may have laid a hard and heavy cross upon you. You may be here today at this service, and a year ago there was somebody seated right next to you, and now they're gone, and you're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. You may be a couple, all you want is a child, and you're infertile. And every single time you walk into this church, the sound of children in your ears is a reminder that you have unfulfilled desires. 
You could be walking through the deepest, darkest addiction and you wonder, how in the world can I be free? And today, I just want you to take that cross and say, I will follow Christ. I will choose to follow Him and I will choose to be His disciple. And for others of you, I want to invite you to no longer be an observer of this beautiful body called College Park, whether it's Columbus or the Hispanic or the Arabic church. I want to invite you to be part of the mission that God has given us to make disciples of Christ, to follow Jesus with passion, to grow deep in our affections, and to do that in every area of our life. I was talking with one of our new members recently, and I asked them the story about how they came to College Park and what initially attracted them to this place. And they said to me, what initially attracted us to College Park was your janitor. I said, janitor? What are you talking about? I don't know how many of you know Benny. I love Benny. I love Benny because he talks with a New York or something accent. I don't know what it is. It's a foreign language to me. But Benny's got a joy of his heart. He's got a joy in his heart, joy in his soul. And what happened is this person showed up kind of after hours and Benny was cleaning the church. He gave them a tour and they said this, the reason that we were so impressed was that as we walked around the facility, Benny couldn't stop talking about Jesus, how his life had been changed, and the way in which his life was going this direction. He came to College Park, he met Christ, he's a radically different guy today. So I say, Benny's not here today, but I say to Benny, way to go Benny, I want to be like you. I want to take all the little things that I do and saturate them with the flavor of following Christ and be able to make the reality of my life this thing that is just so saturated with Jesus that everyone around me knows that there is nothing better than following Christ. Over and over and over, God has shown that to be true in my life, and I know He's shown that to be true in yours. And by the way, He showed it to be true once again in my life this week. Following Jesus for me means that I yield my rights to the timing of certain things in my world that I think, God, my plan would be this, but it's up to you. And I think it was two weeks ago that I shared with you a personal and rather transparent illustration about being on my knees at my house, wrestling through, Lord, I'm afraid, I'm fearful, we have a house in Michigan and we need to sell it, and, and yet I'm washing floors saying, I choose to anchor my heart in who you are. And I got all these ideas as to how God could work out my plans, but it was really there that I just said, Lord, I release it. And then two days later, the Lord prompted me, now share it. And I was like, well, no, wait a minute, that wasn't the deal. Release it was okay, but share it, that's not, that wasn't part of, no, re- share it, Mark. And with much fear and trepidation, I shared that story with you two weeks ago, putting death to self. I want you to know that Three days ago, we received an offer on our house. And Lord willing, within two weeks, we'll be done. <laughs> and I look at that and I just say, Lord, actually, I thought to my own heart, why didn't I just release this like three weeks ago, right? <laughs> and yet the reality is, following Jesus means that we take the cross that he gives us and we bear it and say, Christ, I choose to bear this and I choose to follow you because there's nothing greater than loving and serving you. Because honestly, if today our house wasn't sold, Jesus would still be as worthy to be followed as when it is sold. Jesus is as worthy when you're filled with cancer as when you're cancer-free. 
He's just worthy when you've got a good marriage or when your marriage is in the tank. The worth of Christ is the only thing that provides a sufficient well for us to run to and say, this I can cling to because you never change. You're always the same. You're always faithful. You are worth living for and you are worth dying for. Because the passion of my life is to follow you, Jesus. So Lord, thank you that you give us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you today for the beauty of the breadth of this ministry and all the things that happen every day of the week. Thank you for a great staff, some amazing volunteers who make this ministry happen. And thank you, Lord, for people who are hurting and broken who can come today to the cross. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you, by your Spirit today, would help those today who bear heavy weights, help them to see this is the moment to follow Christ, and help them to embrace that with joy. And I pray, Lord, that next year we'll have twice as many people, not only who've joined this church, but who have confessed Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord for the first time. Lord, we love you, and we are so thankful for your grace as displayed in the power of the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.